So what should we do now with all that's going on? Are people still doing deals? And if so, how are they doing it? What's working? What's not working? That is the focus of our episode. Welcome to the Department Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. Let's get to the bottom of that question. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. You know, I do say a lot that people are still doing deal deals, but then people ask me, well, great, Michael, but how are they doing the deals? What is working right now? What is not working? Tell me about this. And to help us get to the bottom of this is Drew Whitson. Drew Whitson actually heads up our mentoring program. We have full-time syndicators whose name you might recognize who mentor for us. They provide coaching and mentorship to people who come in the program. It really accelerates the process of doing bigger deals faster and achieving financial freedom. If you're interested in that yourself, check out themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. And you can look at our mentors, read a little bit about, watch a quick video that I've created, and then schedule a strategy session with us to see if mentoring is right for you. So what we did at DealMaker Live is we assembled all of our mentors and Drew interviewed him to say, hey, guys, what are your students doing right now? How are they being successful? What are they maybe not doing? And Drew has got an amazing uh, career, obviously professional career, started with single family houses, like, like many of us. Now he controls over 2,200 units. He heads up our mentoring program. He also heads up the development of the syndicated deal analyzer and has contributed many other fantastic ways to the organization. Really great guy. So he's going to moderate this panel with our mentorship team to get to the bottom of the question, what's working now to get deals done? Let's go. How's it going? Good, Michael. Thanks. Awesome. So let's go ahead, Drew, and see what is working right now. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Michael, for having us here. We're really excited. Um, myself and these other mentors, we spend hours and hours every month leading our students. We are, the, we are the generals leading our students into the multifamily syndication battle. And collectively, we've had a lot of conversations, and we are just ready to share everything that we have learned and the things that we are doing to see our students that are being successful today and are taking action today. So let me quick do a quick round of introductions here. Uh, Todd Dexheimer, uh, he is a, a fellow Minnesotan, uh, lives actually just down the street from me. He owns tens of millions of dollars in assets in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Ohio, and then most recently we did a deal in Tennessee together. He has a, a whole platform. He's the host of what's called Pillars of Wealth Creation. Uh, he does coaching for our multifamily investors. Uh, he's passionate about teaching others. And in fact, before he became a mentor, he was a high school industrial teacher and has experience across the real estate board from flipping properties to do large multifamily syndication. Uh, Brad Tasha, one of our Michigan uh, mentoring students who moved into full-time investor, uh, building investor relationships and doing multifamily syndication uh, since uh, 2017. We also have Phil Capron here. Uh, now, Phil has a pretty incredible journey to where he's been here. He was a drummer on a punk rock band. He was a professional poker player, and he uh, served honorably as a naval special warfare combatant, craft crewman, and now is one of our uh, multifamily uh, mentors in our program. He's completed hundreds of units, and one of my favorite phrases is, where there's a fill, there's a way. We're going to talk about exactly why that has happened. When Phil gets at, at something, he's going to figure it out. Um, and lastly, we have Matt Bronner. He is one of our, another Minnesotan manages deals up in here. Matt and I met each other years ago. We've done deals in Minnesota and are actively working together to do deals across the Mid-South. And every one of these guys have some fantastic successes 
working with coaching students and seeing them uh, getting their deals done and going on to do some amazing large things. So we're, we're creating our own competitors right here, Michael, every day we're putting out these coaching students that we're going to be chasing. They're going to be chasing us here in a few years. So that's right. And that's, we love it. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, I want to start right you with, with Matt Bronner here, Matt. Yeah. You're one of our newest coaches, mentors into the program. Um, and so you have a very green crop of coaching students. Tell me some of the successes that they've had um, over just so far in 2020, despite all of the challenges that have happened in the market, in the marketplace. What, what have you been seeing? I think the students that I'm seeing that have had the most success are those that are frankly uh, leveraging the pause in the market. I've heard uh, people refer to this time in the market as the Seinfeld time because Seinfeld was a show about nothing. There was a whole lot of nothing going on in the market. But a lot of students that I saw be successful who would struggle maybe to get the right brokers to pick up the phone, who would struggle to connect with other lenders, recognize that because no one was doing anything, frankly, especially back in like April and May, there was a lot of time where people had to pick up the phone. And because this was so new, it happened so quickly. So many of us were just trying to figure out what was going on in the market by talking with as many brokers, as many lenders, as many property managers as we could felt like on a day-to-day basis, but for sure, week to week, like, what are you seeing? What's happening? And I saw students be able to expedite their success, be able to get into negotiations, get into submitting LOIs, particularly by building relationships with brokers because they picked up the phone and they were able to, as they had identified target markets of, okay, what's happening here? And a broker, as much as anyone else, wanted somebody else's opinion. Uh, so I think that's probably been the best indicator. You have to lean into action, but those that use this time as everyone was looking for anyone and everyone to talk to, to start to build relationships. And that's where I personally have found deals. Uh, the students I'm working with, it's been those initial conversations that they've had where they've been able to find deals as well. That's great. Phil, give me your best. When there's a fill, there's a way. Tell me, what's the way? What's the most productive thing you've seen your students do over the last several months to put themselves in a position to acquire a multifamily property? So I have, I have to set the record straight, Drew. Everyone does this, so it's not, you know, it's, it's no big deal. It's where there's a fill, there's a way, or something, and that's the key. Because a lot of this business is spent in or something land. Like when you're negotiating with a broker, there's just, there's a lot of unknowns. And then by the time it gets to the seller and kicks back to you, and then you're in due diligence, and we're the lender, and you're closing, now you're operating. In special ops training, the, the, the saying was this, you don't have to worry about all the cold nights in the Pacific Ocean and the obstacle course and the long runs and the swims and you know all the, the stuff that's pretty difficult physically that you have to, to worry about. You have to get to the next meal. So when you wake up, you make it to breakfast. Between waking up and breakfast, there might be a four-mile run, an O course, getting wet and sandy, rolling around, a lot of push-ups, like some awful stuff, right? And then you get to breakfast. And then between breakfast and lunch, there's a lot more awful stuff, but all you got to do is get to lunch and then dinner over and over and over and over and over again, right? So you've got your one kind of core thing that you're working on, get there. So what I discuss with, with my students, and I love what Matt had to say about now's the time to kind of like figure things out because there's sort of this nothingness. So um, I don't know if I've, I coined the term, but it's one I use a lot is you have to figure out how to become a viable buyer the balance of power shifted a little bit between syndicator, buyer, and broker. They used to not take all of our calls because they had their list, they were set, whatever. Now's the time you can kind of break in there because they're 
not sure who's going to buy the next deal. But in order to get their attention, you need to have the money or the ability to get it to do whatever transaction you're talking about. You need to have the experience or someone on your team with the experience. And I firmly believe going into kind of an uncertain market here, you've got to have boots in the ground. They don't necessarily have to be yours. But if you think you're just going to take a couple million bucks from San Francisco, throw it into Memphis with a property manager that got a good recommendation, everything's going to go swimmingly. I've got a bridge to sell you, uh, as the old saying goes. So that's that's my two cents on, on the matter. It's you should be working on becoming a viable buyer right now. Todd, let me, let me ask you this as well. So as, as your students are sort of trying to be patient, underwriting conservatively, what's your recommendation for them, how they're talking with investors? What's an investor conversation look like right now? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's similar, but it's, it's, first of all, it's, it's trying to find out what your investors are even interested in. Uh, that's going to be important, you know, finding out which investors are ready to invest and which investors are freaked out and trying to convince or not even convince, just show the investors the strength of multifamily, what's going on in the industry, continue to educate them. So I think that's, that's going to be super important is are, are you continuing to educate, talk with your investors? Are you continuing to, to be on top of it and really let them know what you're doing? So we're sending out newsletters that just basically saying, look, here's where we're at. This is what we're doing in the market. And this is why you might not see a deal for a little while. And if you do see a deal, this is what we're looking for. Uh, so I think it's really important. And that's what I'm telling, you know, everybody that I'm working with is, you have to be communicating over to communicative to really everybody, but investors, since you asked that investors itself. And, and now is a great time to be building investor relationships, right? Mm -hmm. You and I were on a bike ride the other day and we talked about how these people, and this is just in general, a lot of people think that they can raise money. Like they know people that have money or they, you know, work a great job or whatever it might be. And they think, oh, it's going to be easy. Everybody tells me raising money is super easy. So, well, I'm just going to be able to raise it. So I don't have to work at it, right? I've got to work at the deal because the deal's hard. Well, we've got news for you. Raising money, it might be not be like difficult, but it's difficult, right? You have to put effort into it. You have to put time into it. You have to build the relationships. You have to build that trust. So like people don't just fall out of the sky and go, oh, you need money here. Take my money, please. So work on building the relationships right now. And that way, when the deals do come, which they will, then you're ready to go. Who wants to get a deal under contract needs to raise $5 million and they have, you know, $200,000. Brad, let me ask you a question. I know that it's one of the hardest things to do is be patient and stick to your uh, conservative underwriting. Um, the capital markets has changed as some of the lending parameters have been able to impact how we do our valuations. How are you communicating that to your students? What's been your recommendation for their underwriting conservatism? Well, just like everyone's getting at, uh, networking is key right now. So that means brokers, property managers, investors. Uh, it also means mortgage brokers. So keep in touch with your mortgage broker. See how things are, are changing with lending terms. Um, so see if the down payments are changing, see if the reserves, if they're asking for more reserves, interest rates, amortizations, all those type of details. Uh, we need to get those in our SDAs so that uh, our underwriting is correct. So not only conservative, but it's, you know, accurate, correct. It just goes along with the, the networking that we're doubling down on right now. Yep, that makes sense. Matt, I want to have you jump in. So in addition to doing uh, both great debt and equity syndications, you also run your own property management firm. 
Um, what are you seeing from your side of the business as you look at both underwriting deals and managing a portfolio of multifamily assets? How do those things overlap? Or how does one of those things inform each other? I think anytime you're involved with the management, it just gives you a great understanding of how apartments operate at a fundamental level. Drew, I always like that in a lot of our coaching calls, particularly as you rolled out the SDA, you'll joke with students and say, I can make this model show you anything you want to based on what I put in really for the rents of the area. We, we can overcome a lot with that, but it comes down to what's your understanding of those rents. And then he's not here today, but another great guy to talk to is Garrett Lynch. And Garrett was walking through as we were on a recent coaching call talking about, you know, I don't really trust CoStar. I, I don't trust Rentometer. Like these are great places to get a, maybe an initial indication, but there's no substitute for being able to understand like what is street rent right now. And it's what makes your property manager so valuable. It's been a huge asset to me here in Minnesota, being able to watch how my properties continue to operate over time. We're cautiously optimistic right now. I think every property manager and every ultimate owner is asking themselves, are my tenants paying me with their money that they earned or are they paying me with a government money? Um, so August is kind of the next key data point. It seems like we're always kicking the ball down the road. Like, all right, we'll see how things go in April. Then it was June. Now it's, it's going to be August, assuming these extra unemployment benefits expire. We've seen traffic die down, you know, but we are seeing more serious shoppers out there. Uh, because we're still leasing units, we haven't had to cut back on our rents. We're not being as aggressive with our rent bumps just in terms of how we're operating that. But whether or not you're doing the management yourself, we the owner own management company, which just kind of evolved over time. But it also just speaks to the, the students that I see doing well are really developing a relationship with the property manager because it's what helps them understand the fundamentals of a deal faster. I got a follow-up question. I don't know who wants to take it, but uh, obviously we're still doing deals. Students are still doing deals, but we have to do them a little differently, both regards to the underwriting and also with possible contract terms. Does someone want to talk about the differences in underwriting that we're having to incorporate into the syndicated analyzer and maybe someone else talk about, hey, what are the contract terms we really want to see if we're going to go on a contract right now? Well, I'll tell you what, what I'm looking at when, I, when I'm looking at, you know, underwriting deals and kind of conversations we're having is essentially, look, we can't count on rents going up. I don't think we can pro forma rents going up over the next couple of years. Now, could we pro forma taking over a property that has rents at 500 bucks a unit where market is at, you know, $700 a unit? Sure, we could, we could pro forma showing that growth, but we don't want to show the top end growth continuing to grow. I think that's being responsible to your investors and yourself. And we also want to be careful, even if we see that big gap, right? We, we got this, you know, 800 to 1,000 or whatever it is, this big gap. It's going to take us a lot longer to get there, right? It's going to take us a lot longer to actually go from 800 to 1,000 than we, we would have pre-coronavirus. People aren't just going to want their rents raised. And actually, one thing I'll, I'll notice is we have communicated with our tenants and found a lot of actually people wanting the nicer units. They're okay with paying higher rents. Like right when this thing happened, we're like, oh, let's stop. No more construction. No more raising rents. Oh, we're not going to be able to raise anybody's rents. Well, guess what? Now we have, we have like 10% of our leases just recently over the last month that we've raised rents by be anywhere between five to 30%. We've got an additional 
chunk of rents that we're raising now. And these are just like organic rents. You know, their leases were up and we're raising their, they're not, we didn't remodel and we're doing remodels and we're seeing people go, Hey, I want that versus the crappy unit. So, and I'm willing to pay. Yeah. What, yeah. One of the most amazing things that I'm telling students is that we are living in the time when multifamily is going to come out. It's one of the strongest assets in real estate. I have friends that are working that own office buildings. They own retail, they own uh, medical and they're getting hammered, right? They're getting hammered. So I think we're living in a data point that will further cement the multifamily asset as a conservative, reasonable, really just performing asset through thick and thin. And so I think that's part of the reasons that we tend to play. We tell our, that's, that's our, we're crossing our fingers, Todd, but that's the reason we tend to play in this asset class, right? Moving students forward to say, look, you need to be taking action. These assets are performing significantly better than what we had anticipated, right? It's, it, it, it weathers the, the storms of uh, economic disruptions well. And that's why, that's why we like this asset class as a good long-term asset that produces cash and performs really well. If the only thing I'd add on to that, Drew, would be the one thing I'm watching as we come out of this in certain markets, you know, as we look at where we want to go, we want to look at places that are expanding in population, places that are expanding in jobs, and those that have landlord-friendly rental laws. And there are a number of markets, some even in Texas, which was considered, you know, an ultimate place you could be, where they've started to add different restrictions, even on the cities that did pull back on their eviction moratoriums. Uh, we're seeing some concerning activity here in the Twin Cities with city councils that are, some would say, you know, trying to take advantage of this to insert what they had wanted to do for a long period of time. So it's going to become even more important that you you watch where your deals are and look at how you can operate uh, as a, or how your property manager can operate. Because the harder it becomes to turn units, the harder it becomes for us to create value. And if you think about it, if we have more lockdowns coming, where is everyone going to spend all their time? Not in the retail, not in the office. They're going to be in their apartments, right? So, and it probably speaks to what Todd was saying was they're going to want to be in a nicer apartment. If you're stuck there all day long, all the time, then maybe it's worth paying a little more to, to be in a nicer apartment. Something that I'm seeing at uh, my new complex that I've not encountered before, but a lot of you guys that, that deal a little bit on the nicer side of units, my, my niche is like CC minus you know, the really workforce stuff, but some people are actually getting a credit from their employers to have a home office. The employer is paying the difference. So if you're working with the kind of tenant class that that exists, maybe try to, to hone in on, on that. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but Virginia, you know, a lot of people had excluded Virginia from the Southeast because it's not quite as, as advantageous, you know, landlord tenant wise as, as the Carolinas, Georgia, but they just passed a law that just took effect that we can no longer discriminate against Section 8. So essentially everywhere just became Section 8 in the state of Virginia. We can't disqualify them for that. So I'm leaning into it. Instead of trying to go up the chain, I'm actually just saying, I don't care whether it's the tenant that's going to pay the rent, whether it's Section 8, or through this crisis, um, a strategy I've employed a lot is going to third-party like charitable organizations to bridge gaps between you know, people's rent if they're on hard times and where there's a fill, there's a way or something where there's a you, there's got to be a way or something to get that rent in. From what I'm seeing from my students, if you're putting your assumptions in the SDA and you're planning on, on going right to agency debt, I think in a lot of cases you're going to be wrong because what's called the 90 for 90 is, is not a thing in a lot of places where you were seeing like a 6% physical vacancy and like a 4% bad debt, which gets you 90, the bad debt's now up. And I'm personally dealing with a couple of 
contracts and negotiation that we're dealing with that exact issue. On another thing, some of my students are bringing me deals that are gritty. And again, I love gritty. Six months ago would have been perfect bridge debt deals, aka, you know, you're getting, you know, 75, 80%, maybe a construction loan, and they're going away. That that market for the time being is kind of drying up. So that's something to consider as well. Well, we're, we're wrapping up here. So I want to go around the horn really quick and just do one more question. Tell me the one thing that you're seeing your successful students do. What are the one thing that you see in common from the students that are executing and getting deals done? They're building their investor base. And they're getting real good deal flow. Matt, you want to jump in first and sort of what, what's the one thing you see? Yeah, it's those that are willing to make mistakes by doing, right? So that they are willing to pick up the phone put their foot in the mouth with a broker, and then we go through it on the next coaching call. But they've actually been through it. The, the students that get held back are the ones that just try to always plan out the perfect interaction, whether it's broker, investor, lender. Those that can get past that and just be comfortable stepping out into action uh, are finding their success ramp up quicker. The ones that are out there building relationships, they're going to have so much more success. If they're willing to knock on doors or willing to do the phone calls or they're willing to do that, you know, look, you're going, hey, there's no deals. What am I going to do? Well, you can either sit at home, eat burgers and chips all day, or you can actually go out there and communicate with people that are actually going to be able to find you those deals, that are going to be able to invest in your deals. They're going to be part of your team. Which one do you want to do? And it's still a numbers game. So you still need to crunch, you know, if it's 100 deals, deals are slower to come by right now. You still have to go through a certain number of deals. You have to work harder to find those deals right now. So crank it up, crunch through those deals, and, and they're still out there. Yeah, Brad, in like 2012, when the deals were plentiful, I was still underwriting 100, probably even more deals to get one. We were just underwriting more deals quicker, right? We were underwriting a ton of deals because we were getting them all in at once, but we are still underwriting one, 200 deals just to get one. Exactly. What I'm seeing with my students is the ones that are willing to check their ego and don't take this the wrong way. You know, there's gotta be one controversial thread in every session, right? So here it is. It seems like a lot of folks that I work with, uh, that we work with, they wanna be kind of like the flagship sponsor of their deal. You don't have to be. You need to be willing to learn before you earn. And I've got a handful of students that partnered up on a pretty big deal. They knocked it out. It's performing very well. And now they're on to the next and the next. And actually, there might be a next after that. Some of them have decided to keep the partnerships together. Some of them are going their separate ways. They're in a deal. It didn't matter if they weren't the one that got the PSA signed. They said, okay, I can help with due diligence. I can help with asset management. Great. I'm now the signer on a 50-unit apartment. 100 unit apartment, 200 unit apartment. They're in the game. They're made men and women. And now they can go write their own ticket. So Resident don't be afraid to take a small slice that maybe is not going to change your life to start the progression. And Michael preaches out the law of the first deal. Your resume looks the same whether you're number one in charge or number three or four in charge, right? So good point, Phil. There's no substitute for action and there's no substitute for experience. Yeah, I mean, I think if I, if I see hear a common thread from all of you guys, and this is, I've observed this also, it's not someone's experience, it's not someone's their money, it's not someone's relationships. While those things, the absence or presence accelerates or slows someone down, the one thing I see over and over again that they all have in common is hustle. 
that's it. And, and you're just named examples of, of that. I think if someone does not take responsibility for themselves, uh, is unwilling to put in some kind of work, it's not being successful. And, and I think the people who are successful are the ones who are consistent, who take, and I call it tiny action every single day. They're taking small, small action every single day. And those are the people that make it happen. And the ones who don't, simply are not successful. They, they just fade away. And I think that's the common denominator. So it doesn't matter what your experience is, your cash or, or wealth or anything like that. I've seen people who, you know, a net worth of five, six million dollars who are never successful because they expect everyone to do everything for them. And sometimes you can throw the money at the problem, but sometimes you actually have to do something yourself. And uh, to me, that's kind of encouraging because that means that people can be successful with this, whether they have real estate investing experience or not, whether they have money or not. All they have to do is be willing to be consistent and take a little bit of action every single day. Um, you know, one of the other things we have in common is that all of our mentors here are willing to open their book of knowledge and experience and help you get deals done. We do that for our coaching students. and We want to help uh, anyone that's looking to succeed, partner up with them and get those things done. So let us know how we can help you. We're here to answer questions now and to see whatever it is that we can provide, the things that you're answering that we can provide our collective experience. So thank you guys all for your time and putting this together. And uh, we appreciate you sort of sharing all your insights. So students are still doing deals right now. Uh, that's, and that's super, super exciting. In fact, we uh, handed out a bunch of first Dealmaker Awards and Freedom Hall of Fame Awards at Dealmaker Live. And many of them were students. And that's fantastic. Again, if you want to check that out, go to michaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Check it out. Schedule a strategy session with us. But really, the common theme from Dealmaker Live, as much as uh, panic and fear that are out there, is that stay calm, stay the course. Multifamily is still the best asset class in real estate, and I would argue even the best asset class right now. And and that still holds true, depending based on how it's been performing, how through through code and everything else. Another common theme we heard from the mentors is students have been taking advantage of a little bit of a pause in a market. We still have some wackiness going on with debt, uh, trying to nail that down. It's already starting to stabilize a little bit. We're getting some some uh, calmer terms, shall we say. What I mean by that is you get a, what's uncommon is if you get a term sheet and by the time you close, you know, the loan to value is cut and the interest rates are different, all that kind of stuff, more reserves. So they're taking advantage of the pause in the market to educate themselves, to hone their skills, to build relationships with investors, with their team. We talked about the importance of the property manager that is by far the number one critical uh, team member of your team is the property manager as well. And really lean into action. While I'm saying taking advantage of the pause of the market does not mean that we are not doing anything. We're actually taking action. And the one thing I, I do say that the people who are successful, the one main difference between those people and people who are not successful are the ones who are taking action. And we always talk about taking massive action. That's for the birds. Who wants to take massive action? Like no one does that. It's overwhelming. But what you want to do is take tiny action every single day. And the students who are successful, that's exactly what they do. They take a little bit of action every single day. It's a compound effect. And with that, over time, they do amazing things. So the lesson is keep taking tiny action every single day. Make it a priority. Put it in your calendar. Schedule it and keep moving forward. So obviously, we talked about mentoring. If you want to grab the DealMaker Live recordings, we still have those available at DealMakerLiveEvent.com. Uh, all the recordings, all the, all the video are all in a membership site. You can watch them on demand. They're priced extremely well. Check it out at DealMakerLiveEvent.com if you have not already. All right, guys. So hopefully you found that useful. We'll get some really tangible 
steps and action steps and mindset from the people who are literally working with dozens of students who are doing this right now. So if you find that useful, catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.